Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. All right. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, As usual, I have my trusted sidekick, partner in crime, David Bergstein, on the line. And today joining us as our uh, featured guest is Mark Wickersham. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. So as many of you may uh, already be aware, uh, Mr. Wickersham is uh, one of our uh, renowned experts in the value pricing field. We thought we'd spend some time picking Mark's brain a little bit on some of the challenges that we see and uh, and are facing as many firms are trying to implement this concept that we've been talking about for so long in the profession, but uh, just just can't seem to to make the switch or or or, or implement you know the way that we, that we want to. So uh, hopefully, Mark can help us get our arms around this a little better. Um, so Mark, you know, on that note. Tell us a little bit about your experience um, helping folks actually move existing clients to a value pricing model. Yeah, that's well. That's a question I get a lot. How do I move my my, my clients across? I think that, that value pricing is something that's been talked about in the profession for over twenty years. My friend Ron Baker, he he started the whole thing in the nineteen nineties. But I still find in all my benchmarking studies I do that it's still less than ten percent of the profession are successfully making the switch to value pricing. And it, 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 it is difficult. Uh, and those that have, when they start out, they usually start out with uh, pricing brand new clients because that's always easier because brand new clients don't know how you price before. So it's a, it's a great place to start. But the real opportunity is, and, and the real challenge is that we've been pricing wrong before with our existing clients' base. So at some point, we have to grasp this whole issue of looking at the existing clients we have right now and, and repricing them and, and moving them to value pricing. And, and it's something that people struggle with that. I think they fear it because as much as anything, there's this, this wor- worry that if I reprice my clients, if, I've mo- if, my, if I move my clients to value pricing, they might all leave. <laughs> and so there's this fear factor of, of losing clients. Uh, and the reality is that doesn't happen. I've been, I've been teaching the profession how to reprice their existing clients for the last 20 years. And, and the processes I teach, typically most people end up increasing their average price across their entire firm by 20% and losing almost no clients. And, and there's a number of reasons why that. We mustn't fear losing clients, and very often they won't. There's a loyalty factor. There's a the fact that they that the reason clients are clients of the accountant, the bookkeeper, is because of their personality, because of them. And they're not going to get you when they move to the firm down the road. There's that, there's that kind of natural lock-in, if you like, because of the, the relationship you've built. Uh, and, and also, uh, most clients, I think, know that the accountant and the bookkeeper is too cheap. So I often get uh, accountants, bookkeepers telling me that they, they repriced, they changed their client's pricing, and the client said, I wondered when you'd get round to doing that. <laughs> You've always been underpricing. So a lot of the a lot of the problems with moving clients to to value pricing is largely in the head. It's in their head. It's a mindset issue. It's a it's 
it's an imaginary objection. They, they, they worry about the, the worst case scenario. They have this fear. And I've been told fear stands for false evidence appearing real. When the reality is, it's, it's actually not that difficult to do. And, and I think usually there's two parts to the question. People often ask the question, so Mark, how do I move my clients to value pricing? Uh, and, and, and that's not really the question I think people are asking. The question people are really asking is, how do I put my prices up? Because <laughs> that's what we want to do as part of the moving to value pricing. Uh, so the, let me ask process- you a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, please do, David. Let me interrupt since I think this is the big thing people want to know. You're saying, pretend I'm your client. What, how do you start that conversation to switch the pricing? So what would you be saying to me if I was your client? How, how do you start that conversation? Yeah, great question, David. So uh, the, the first thing to recognize is, is that actually clients want us to move to value pricing. And here's the reason why. There was a survey done back in the UK in November 2005 by one of the big, well-known, uh, big com- well-known company. And, and they asked, they, they surveyed thousands of business owners in the UK. And, and one of the questions they asked, which was really, in- really interesting, was, what's the thing that you hate the most about your accountant? Uh, which was an interesting question. The number one answer by a long way was surprise bills. Uh, and and I know that's true because I, I, as a customer myself, when I deal with lawyers, for example, I hate surprise bills. People, customers, clients want to know right up front what the price is going to be. And hourly billing doesn't give them that. Nobody knows the price till the hours are added up and an itemized invoice is sent out. So people want a price up front. Uh, now, uh, the mere act of giving a price up front isn't value pricing, and we can get into that. But but we certainly need to give them a number up front because that's what they want. And and secondly, uh, one of the interesting things about value pricing is everybody values things differently. And as as my friend Ron Baker says, values in the hearts and minds of customers. Uh, and so, because people value things differently, we have to give people choices. And and, and customers love choice. In fact, I've just bought something today from from Apple, and Apple are brilliant at value pricing, and they give me lots of choices, and I feel as a customer that I'm in, in control. So to answer your question, David, because, because really the clients want to be on value pricing, the script that I would use, the way I'd, ask, I'd answer the question or, or start the conversation would be something like this. I would say, so David, one of the things that uh, we've done is we've changed the way that we price because we've been listening to our clients. And what we found is that our clients have been telling us over and over again that they hate the way the profession prices, pricing based on the hour. And when we asked them why, they said, well, that's because we can't plan, we can't budget, we don't know what the price is right up front. So we've been listening to what our clients say and we've changed the way that we are now price. We give you a price upfront, a price based on the value of what we create. And the more value we create, uh, the better for you. But also, not only that, we've been listening to our clients and they all tell us that they are different. They have that Their business is unique. Uh, and there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all solution. They, they, want, they want things that are different to other firms. So what we do is we now give you choices. We give you a range of different options. So you can pick the, the service and the solution that best meets your specific needs and the specific needs of your business. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. The client just nods and says, yeah, that seems a fair way of pricing. Tell me more. And now we can go into our our process of talking about uh, our different options, choices, build up the value, and get into the price. I like that. I think think that's perfect, Chris. I think that's where you can then turn around 
and say, what we do now is we offer concierge services and you can have either transactional, controller, CFO, or whatever you want to call it. Because I think you said you give them a range of choices and they usually pick something in the middle. Uh, absolutely. And that's one of the most powerful things with in, in pricing is give people choice. Uh, and what if you only give one solution, if you sell a bookkeeping service, let's say it's bookkeeping, then they'll either buy it yes or no. And and whatever price you choose, it's the wrong price. Because when you tell them the price for your bookkeeping service, it's either too high or too low. If it's too low, they don't buy from you. If it's too high, they do buy, but they would have paid you more money. And so you have to give them some choices. And the starting point of that is, I call it menu pricing, but it's essentially, if you like, the bronze, silver, gold. With every offering you have, whether it's bookkeeping, tax returns, cash flow forecasting, you offer a bronze, silver, gold. Because if you only have one choice, you're leaving money on the table. Some clients will willingly, happily pay more money when there's a more valuable option and when they understand that value. And, and so that's one of the key things that we should be doing, giving our clients choices and let them choose based on their own perception of value. Some clients will see huge value in an, in an expensive premium option and they'll buy that, which is great. And some won't, they'll buy a different option. And that's fine. We let the client choose. Yeah. And, and yeah, we find that, that people that offer that, you know, bronze, silver, gold type of approach of packages uh, usually tied to a monthly subscription. So they have consistent pricing all throughout the year. A lot of the times people go for the middle, but it absolutely happens where people are, are saying, you know what, this, this gold package is really what we're after. We want, we want the best you can offer. And because they understand what accountants can bring to the table. And it's, it's sort of coming back to your conversation about um, fear, right? Uh, there's the fear of just having the conversation because there's the fear of, losing the clients or, or we hear from um, partners in larger firms of like disrupting their income, right? Cause they're a few years away from retirements. I'm not going to completely transform our model and mess with my last few years of, of income. Right. And so they're hesitant to make that move, but I think it, it stems even further back to the fear of not knowing their own value. Like, Oh, that they're important. The accountants know that they're, they're valuable. Um, I feel I feel like maybe they don't realize like how valuable they really are. What are your thoughts that's, on that? That's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there is a big issue here, and I think it's uh, one of the things that holds a, accountants back the most when it comes to pricing is a lack of confidence, uh, confidence in our pricing. And, and I can relate to that because when I ran my accounting firm, I started a, my own business in 1996 as a, as a sole practitioner. And I was terrible at pricing for the first two and a half years. In fact, it wasn't until I met Ron Baker in late 1999, which was the first time I'd heard of the phrase value pricing, because I'd grown up in the profession believing that you had to keep timesheets, believing you had to price based on the hour. And so in those first few years of my accounting firm, 96, 97, 98, when I'd meet a potential client and they are, which they always do, I would give them a price, but because I feared that reaction of, that's expensive. I hated the no reaction, which I think we do in the profession. We don't like it. we don't like rejection. So we give people a price, which is a price that we think and hope to say yes to. And usually that means we go in much lower the, than we need to. We focus on price and try to be competitive. And uh, at the end of the day, if we keep winning clients on price, we will soon find that we fill our, our day up servicing 
clients working crazy long hours just to make ends meet because we're not charging high enough. And, and it's, this, it's this confidence around pricing that's a big issue. Uh, and confidence, if we want to get more confident with pricing, more confidence so we can ask for higher prices, I think there's really three elements that we need to work on. One is that we become more confident when we have more knowledge of pricing and, and pricing strategy and price psychology. So we need to make sure that we we learn how to price. Secondly, it's about having some systems, some systematic processes for pricing. But thirdly, and arguably most importantly, the biggest thing that, that, that changes our confidence is a belief. And it's what you were saying. It's a belief that we're worth it. And, and until we believe internally, until we believe that we genuinely are valuable, that we can change people's lives, we're going to struggle to communicate that to our clients. And so that's something that at a foundational level we have to work on. And I believe, I'm an accountant myself, and I, I believe that we are in an amazing profession, a profession where we can we can quite literally change people's lives. I've seen accountants that I've worked with who have turned businesses around, businesses which would have failed, and they've saved the business. I've seen clients that uh, accountants that have done that with their clients, where the client, before they hired the accountant, was on the verge of taking their own life because their business was so bad. And the accountant has saved the business, saved the family, and save the person. We can do those extraordinary things. We can do, uh, because we have access to all their numbers, their business. Uh, I believe that accountants are a bit like doctors. Doctors save lives. We save businesses. And we have to recognize that, that we can do extraordinary things. And when we recognize that, and we start to realize, yeah, we are pretty valuable. We are worth it. I am emphatically shaking my head. (laughs) And I 100% agree with you. I'm teaching uh, college classes now to young accountants. And everything you said really relates to advisory services because we can change their life because we make them more liquid, solvent, and profitable. You know, you mentioned it, James mentioned it, Ron Baker's mentioned it. Doctors uh, help people physically. We help people physically to put them back on on the right track. And even uh, Jason specialized a lot with uh, the tax side of the business. And when you talk about menu choices and the tax side, that leads from just tax preparation to doing advisory services when you are from the three different menu items to rearrange it. But how do you get how do you handle scope creep when someone chooses menu item bronze, silver, and they go up towards gold or platinum? How do you handle that? Yeah, scope creep is a big issue. It's one of the. It's another big issue in the profession. I remember doing a, a pricing workshop for some multi partner in the UK a couple of years back, and I was talking about scope creep and and how do we avoid scope creep. And one of the firms in a about a, about a six partner firm during the coffee break said, every year we write down, we write off over two million. This was UK pounds, two million a year, which is just coming straight off bottom line profit because we write time off and we write time off because of of scope creep largely. So how do we deal with it? We have to recognize that scope creep, and for people who who aren't sure what that means, just to put a definition on it, scope creep means that uh, we give a price for doing a piece of work uh, and then it turns out that it takes longer to do the work than we first imagined. And dealing with scope creep is partly a pricing issue and it's partly a project management issue. Uh, so we need to look at it from both those perspectives. From a pricing point of view, scope creep is, is, is largely to do with, firstly, often scope creep happens because we're not, we're not even aware it's happening. 
we are we're working on a client's affairs, and while we're working on the, fair, the affairs, the client rings up the person who's, the, who's working on the books. The client rings up and says, well, you've got my books and records. I just need to complete your grant form because I, uh, because I need to put my son through university or, or because of, I want to get some finance or whatever it might well be. And very often, because we are such nice in the profession, we say, yes, of course, we'll fill that in. And, of course, we do the extra of work. We put the time on the timesheet. And then at the end of the process, think, wow, we've made a loss on that. So the first thing we have to do is just become more aware of what causes scope creep. What are the reasons that work takes longer? And there are essentially four different reasons that that, that scope creep arises. One is because uh, what, one of the reasons is that the uh, the client doesn't tell us the right the, the right things. It may be that uh, the, the client agrees. We, we're doing their end of year financial statements, and the client tells us they've reconciled their bank account. And we come to, to the year end to do the work, and we find out it's not been reconciled. Uh, and so there's extra work in, involved that very often we just start sorting it out rather than going back to the client first. Uh, that's one of the reasons. Another one is that uh, that the client wants extra stuff that wasn't like the grant. They want the grant form fill, filling in. Uh, another one is that uh, we do the work and we didn't actually ask the right questions. We suddenly realized there's something about this business that when we gave the price, if we'd have asked the right question, we'd have realized there was some extra work. So we haven't asked the right scope questions. And the other one is, is because of things naturally change because of circumstances. For example, uh, we're doing the payroll for a client that's got 10 employees, but they actually are going through a growth phase and they suddenly go from 10 to 15 in, in, employees in the next three months. So there's these different reasons and we have to spot them first and recognize what they are. Once we've done that, we can then start to build in some systems into our pricing phase process. We have to make sure we ask the right questions about scope. When we are talking about price, asking the client the questions, we want to make sure that when we agree the price, there is complete agreement over how we've come up with that price, what we're based on. This price for your payroll is based on the fact you have 10 employees right now. We want to make sure it's really clear. And that goes into the fixed price agreement or proposal. Uh, but we also want to make sure that, and this is even more important, as well as clarifying what's included in the scope of the work, what's outside the scope. And we're not very good at doing that. We have to say what's not included. And, and that might include, for example, one of the scripts I might use dealing with that example of where the scope changes because the business grows, for example. Common issue, issue with bookkeeping. Bookkeepers tell me uh, I should put my price up because the client's got bigger, but they don't have the conversation, which is crazy. And so what we do is we manage that at the outset. We say to the client something like this, and we put the wording in our agreement. This price for bookkeeping is based on the fact that you've told me that right now you do 50 transactions a month on average. Just so you know... If your business grows, which would be which would be awesome, of course, and you move to seventy five transactions per month, the price would change. But equally, of course, if it goes the other way, the price will go down. Is that fair? Yes, of course, it's fair. And then what I would do is I would then say to the client, just to give you an idea. This is the price based on where you are right now. If you suddenly did this number of transactions, let me tell you what the price would be in the future, just so you know. And when you manage the client's expectations in that way. Then later in the process, when we're doing the project management side of things and we find something arises, something changes, like the number of transactions goes up, it's a much easier conversation with the client because we've already 
put it in the engagement letter or the fixed price agreement, the proposal, had the conversation. We even told them indicatively what the price might go to. And they therefore, it's not a big surprise. It's a much easier conversation. Right. You proactively manage their expectations. Right. And and that's that's a lot of what's at the crux of all this is, you know, also because there's a couple of things I want to unpack. So sorry, I'm scatterbrained. Um, one, stop thinking in terms of how much time it's going to take to do something when you are assessing what price to put on something, because the amount of time and experience and expertise and everything that goes into the work that you do, right, is not based on how much time it takes you right now. It's And so you, it made me think of that when you talked about, you know, 50 transactions versus 100 transactions, you're putting in the client's head, that's going to take me more time paid more because of that reason. But really, it's about, I'm here to help you grow. And as you grow, your pricing will, will change with your, you know, your business performance. And then um, on the flip side of that, the managing of expectations, it's, I'm here to do your taxes. Yes, that, that'll get done. But that's not my primary function. My primary function is not to keep it clean and do your taxes. Those are, those are compliance-related things that we just have to do. And those are the things I'm going to automate and try and get as efficient as possible around. What I'm really here to do is to use my experience working with hundreds of other clients, just like yourself in various different industries, to help you not just succeed, thrive, turn around a failing business, but to thrive, right? And, and truly grow and achieve your dreams as a, as a human being. Absolutely, Jason. You've made a lot of great points there. We, 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 have to, we have to move away from thinking about inputs, hours, costs, and think about outcomes. And, and a, lot of, a lot of value, people think value pricing is really just about coming up with a number, coming up with a price. And that's, a, that's just a small part of it. Value pricing, probably the single biggest thing about value pricing is the words we use. It's communicating value. It's communicating what they're, it's, it's creating a picture of what the client's life could look like in the future once we've solved their problems. And a lot of this comes down to the conversations we have. We, we, have to, we have to become better at asking the right questions to uncover what is it that's important to clients? What do they value? Very often, I think the mistake that we make in the profession is a client comes to us and they might say, for example, uh, I've come to you today because I need a cash flow forecast. Can you do a cash flow forecast and what will it cost? And we say, yes, we can do that. It's going to cost this. And that's crazy because we're, 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 we're doing exactly what they don't want. They don't, nobody, nobody ever, ever wants a cash flow forecast. I've never been to a client's premises and seen a cash flow forecast framed on their wall proudly. <laughs> nobody wants to buy a cash flow forecast. What they want to buy is what it will do for them. And that's what we need to find out. Why do they need a cash flow forecast? What are they looking to achieve? What's the objective? What's the pain they're away from? And the better we ask questions, the better we understand that, the better we understand the pain the client's got, where they want to be, the better we can then think, okay, there's a better solution here. We can provide some other things here, even above just simply doing a cash flow forecast. And then this links back to what we did earlier with giving the different choices. We can come up with some different things we can do to better solve their problem or better help them achieve their goals, then give them the different choices. And, and then we set prices based on the value of those things. And if the client says, actually, yeah, I want more than a, I do want those other things. I want you to help me to, to get that end result. 
And if the client sees that value and, and agrees to pay that higher price, we may end up getting three or four times the price of what we might have charged just for a simple cash flow forecast. So it's, it's the communication. We have to communicate by asking the right questions and better communicating the value of what we do. I think you really nailed it there. Which leads me to say that most time when someone comes to you and says, I want you to do a cash flow forecast, can you do it? The answer, like you said, is probably always yes. But let me ask you a few more questions about yours and let's determine what's going on. And by doing that, uncover five other things that you can talk about, which shows the value that you bring to the client across the board. It's always about adding more questions and getting answers rather than just saying, I can do that. Right. And we're so conditioned as a profession. I need a tax return done. Do your tax return. Here's your tax return. Bill for $500. Oh, you don't want to pay it? Okay, well, let's have that conversation. Instead of, uh, you know, and the tax return one's a little bit, okay, yeah, we'll do your tax return. But let me talk a little bit more, let me with you a little bit more about what are, what is, what are you doing? What is your life? What are your dreams? What are your, you know, what are your passions? And let's talk about this business that you're reporting on this tax return. You know, how are you, you know, growing and, and, and how can we help you, you know, better, better achieve what you're trying to accomplish out there and connecting with the person and then digging beyond just what they're coming to ask for. Absolutely. Now, Mark, you, you provide these workshops for people. Do you not? What, what, what do you, if I was an accountant and, uh, I needed help. You know, what do you, what do your workshops do for the accountants? How do you help them? Yeah, so I run something called the Value Pricing Academy, which is uh, I teach people. Uh, they 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 come to my live sessions every month, and in the live sessions, I I teach them the foundations of value pricing. I teach them. Uh, I teach what my focus is is not just teaching value pricing, but actually making it easy to implement and give them the system. So I, I teach and I provide resources. I give them the exact words to say. Uh, I, I create, for example, I create, for example, uh, pricing brochures, which are, which they can use in front of their clients to go through systematically to, to, to build up the value. Uh, I teach them specifically how do you price tax returns? How do you price cash flow forecasting? How do you try price business advisory? How would you price payroll, bookkeeping? And so every month I work with accountants and teach them how to price all these core services so they can start getting much, much higher prices. Uh, uh, but but the, the, my, the approach I take is because I think I'm an accountant, I'm an accountant myself. I was in practice and made all, all these mistakes is I think what accountants want is the step-by-step process. They want the words, they want the do this first, do this. And, and that's where my approach has been. Give people the steps, show me exactly what they need to do to get higher prices, to move to pricing. You're exactly right, Mark. So folks, you heard it. If you, if you want more help getting really into the detail of what is the, what are the words and how do I formulate these questions? How do I put this stuff? This is the man to help check it, check it out. Where, where, where can we find your, um, your Academy, Mark? Well, a couple of options. Number one, first of all, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. If they go to Mark Wickersham, you'll find my profile on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect. Whenever I connect with accountants and bookkeepers, I then send via LinkedIn a message with links to some free resources. For example, I run regular live streaming events where I teach things, and, and I send out an email once a month to say what events I'm running. Uh, you can also check out my website, www.wickersham.com. Let me spell that W I C K E R 
S-H-A-M, and it's .co.uk, not .com, .co.uk. Uh, so the best two places to start, I run a Facebook group called Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. You can join the group and interact with another eight or 9,000 people who are on this same journey with value pricing. And you can ask me questions via the Facebook group uh, about value pricing. So they're the best places to start. Perfect. Well, I think that is a great place to close us out for the day. Mark, really appreciate you being here today and sharing your insights with uh, all of our listeners. I hope for everybody, it was uh, helpful to get some additional perspective. And I hope Mark's given you some good resources to go check out and help you help you along on this journey. Mark, thanks again for being here. We appreciate you. Thank you, Jason. And thank you, David. We'll see you everybody next time. Thanks for listening. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2022.